What if there was a different way to live and work beyond the hustle and hype, beyond the never ending race to get more, do more, be more, a way that's nourishing, grounded, creative, and aligned with your deepest, truest self. You're listening to Alchemy in Action with me, your host, Amanda Cook. In each episode, we'll explore nature-based personal growth for high-achieving women. Join me to create a life and work that truly fit you, infused with meaning and magic. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Wellpreneur Podcast. This week, I've got legal coach Lisa Fraley back by popular demand. Lisa was on the podcast way back in the beginning when it was just a little baby podcast and the need for legal advice for wellpreneurs has not changed. In fact, it's become even more and more. And I hear from you guys almost every week with questions about how to legally protect your business. So that's why I got Lisa back on the podcast so we can talk about just that. What I love about interviewing Lisa is she just like gives, gives, gives super valuable information. So if you have any questions about If you need a client agreement, if your business is big enough to start thinking about the legal protection, what the difference between like trademarks and copyrights are, do you need one? And a super juicy question about how do you share other people's recipes? Are you allowed to? Can you? Could you put them in an ebook? Ah, this question's come up quite a bit. So we're going to be talking about all this stuff in this week's interview with Lisa. Now, just so you know, I'm actually an affiliate of Lisa's because she's put together a really awesome set of legal templates for wellpreneurs. So she'll talk about this a little bit at different points during the interview. But for example, if you wanted to put together a client agreement, you could either hire a lawyer and have one put together just for your business, or you could get Lisa's templates and start from there. And for a lot of wellpreneurs, starting from a template is really a good fit in the early stages of your business. So at any point during the interview, if you want to check out Lisa's legal templates, just go to wellpreneuronline.com slash legal love. Wellpreneuronline.com slash legal love. That's my affiliate link for Lisa's templates, and that'll bring you directly to the specific page on her site that lists all those different templates. Of course, whether you want to do that or not, this episode is packed with valuable information about how to legally protect your business. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So let's just get into this interview with legal coach, Lisa Fraley. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for joining me on the show again. Hi, Amanda. I cannot believe that I am back. Thank you so much for inviting me to return. It's so great. You were one of my very first guests when the Wellpreneur podcast was just like a little baby podcast. I think you were definitely within the first 10 episodes. And And look at it now. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's great. And, you know, we had legal questions back then. And as the community's grown now, obviously, we've got this this Facebook group and there's over a thousand wellpreneurs in it and legal questions come up all the time. So I've been saving them for you just so that I can invite you back on the show so that that we could talk about it again. That is Perfect. I I love answering questions. And it, it thank you so much for educating people about the legal part of their online business, because it's not an area that people love talking about or thinking about, but it's so important. And the more fun and interesting we can make it, the better. Yeah, I think it feels really kind of intimidating and scary. I'm, yes. And we can feel like, oh, well, I probably don't need that yet. I don't need that. Until- yes. 
whatever, whatever we decide in our heads, but actually like that's not true, right? You kind of, there's some certain things that are good to have in place right from the beginning. Like I'd imagine a client agreement. Yes. And I'm so glad you mentioned that because people do say all the time, like, oh, I don't really need to worry about that until I've made six figures, or I don't need to worry about that until I have a gazillion clients. But really, the more that you can take steps at the beginning of your practice, and as you grow, you just put the right steps in place one step at a time. And one of the earliest steps to protect your income, which of course is so critical, is the client agreement. And the client agreement is what you use for one-on-one services with your clients to get really clear about who's responsible for what and how payment works and what happens if you have a dispute. So it really is one of the first steps. And as you know, Amanda, I align legal steps with the chakras, which is definitely not what a lot of lawyers do for sure. And this one associates for people who are familiar with the chakras with the sacral chakra, because you're really trying to protect your money and your income and have boundaries and clarity with your client in your client relationship. So it's a great place to start. So the thing I've noticed is that wellpreneurs feel uncomfortable asking their clients to sign an agreement. Yes, they do. Yes. And part of the reason they feel uncomfortable, having done this now for the past four years as a legal coach, is because they don't really know how to present it or what to say. And the more uncomfortable the wellpreneur is in giving the agreement to the client, the more they think the client's going to be uncomfortable. So the more that people understand this is a gift, believe it or not, to both of you. If you reframe looking at it as a scary legal document to this being a gift that you both have to help you get clear, it's such a more beautiful and helpful tool for your relationship. Because when you put in writing right from the start in one place for your clients, here's what happens if you miss a payment. Here's what happens if you miss a call. Here's when your payments are due. Here's what happens if we get into a dispute. By the way, just a reminder, here's everything your program includes. Here's how we communicate and you can get a hold of me. Here's how you schedule your calls. All in one place, that's like heavenly for both of you. So it doesn't have to be scary and it doesn't have to be overwhelming at all. Yeah. And this is, I mean, coming from a business background, I have to say like having a contract, it's really freeing in Mm -hmm. a way because you get it all out on the table in the beginning and you're like, this is how we're going to work together. Exactly. And and then you both know. And then it's something that you can refer back to. You don't have to be searching through emails and then you realize, oh no, I said that on the phone, but I didn't write it down. And that's when it gets awkward. Yeah. Yeah. And especially, you know, the client agreement is the best place to put things like your refund policy. And like I said, your missed call policy, because that's where it gets sticky, right? Is when you're moving forward and you're, you're going along with your coaching program and all of a sudden you're in a pickle And you, if you have your client agreement with that language already in it, you can just refer the client back to that. Like, oh, remember at the beginning, we both agreed that this is how we would work together. Here's the section on refund policies. And just to refresh your memory, here's what what you had agreed to. And it's not as awkward. It it takes some of the awkwardness out of the conversation when you have the language doing the heavy lifting for you. Mm -hmm. And I find that clients actually don't think it's as strange as you do. Like they you're, do. Exactly. Because <laughs> That's so from, true. From a client perspective, they're signing up to work with a professional. And with professionals, exactly. you, it's very common to have to sign agreements to, to start working together, right? So I think it's more exactly. like on us. Like we haven't fully stepped into the, oh yes. my gosh, I'm the expert. Like I'm the service provider and this is totally normal. I'm a business owner. We're still in That's this like, it. oh, I'm just helping them out. And yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> Exactly. And I found the more that people can just make it a step of their enrollment process, it doesn't have to be a big deal. So like 
Step one is to purchase. Step through the, through your link or online. Step two is to read the welcome packet. Step three is to return your signed client agreement. Step four is to schedule your first call or all your calls. Step five, you know, like it can be just part of the flow. So the client's like, okay, check that off, check that off, check that off. It, it really, it's an amazing how much more it helps you also get really clear in your boundaries and get clear about your policies ahead of time. And the whole thing just flows really smoothly if you just build it right into your process. Super easy. Now, what about, because I know some schools that people graduate from might give a template um, client mm-hmm. agreement. And so what about using something like that? Is that okay? Yeah. So this is how I always respond to that. Because if you've gone to a coaching school and you get an agreement from your coaching school, that is a great place to start. And if you're using that school's coaching program, like pretty much exactly how they gave it to you, you can go ahead and use that client agreement template they gave you because it goes along with their program. The trick is that when you start going to create your own programs, like your own VIP day or your own three-month program or your own 28-day jumpstart or your own whatever, you are going to have different terms and different parts of your program that won't necessarily be covered in that standard agreement for the school's program. So like for a VIP day, for example, it's it's totally different because you have someone coming in and you're putting them up in a hotel or retreat, or you may be taking them to get a massage, or you may be transporting them, or you may be feeding them, or you may be doing all these things that are totally different than if you just got on a call with someone for six months or three months or whatever. So your liability is is different based upon the type of programming that you're offering. So you really do want to have a specific client agreement that matches your specific program once you start creating your own programs. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that transitions really well into one of my other questions, which is what about with online programs and especially like Mm. evergreen programs? Well, I guess there's a couple types that are really common in my community. There's kind of the online group program where it might be live. You might have some calls, but it's all online. And then also the evergreen type program. So I guess we need different kinds of agreements for those. Yep. So to make it super easy, if you are doing a one-on-one agreement, you want to use a client agreement. Okay. Or you can also use, um, they're called terms of purchase, at least the way that I create them. And that is basically, it's a one-on-one agreement where you both are signing the document is what the client agreement is. That's ideal. You can use an electronic signature program where you can upload a document and send it off to your client and have them sign it electronically and send it back to you and you sign it electronically. So you can actually use an agreement between both of you. That's the strongest, most ideal way of doing it. But if you want to just have them check a box, if you're doing a one-on-one program, you'd be able to like upload your client agreement and have them check the box that they agree. But if you're doing an online group program or an online course that's not one-on-one, or at least most of it isn't one-on-one, right? You may have like they get a free call with you or an hour call with you or something, but most of the program is online modules and videos and audios or whatever you're doing, group calls. You want to use a document called Terms of Use for Online Programs and Products. And the Terms of Use do exactly what they say. It tells the people in the group the terms, the, the purchase terms and the payment terms and the program terms for using your program, your group program, your online course. And that's where they do check the box to say that they agree to those terms before they purchase the program. Mm-hmm. So one-on-one client agreement is ideal. And group program, you use what I call terms of use for online programs and products. Let me just pause and, and tell everybody just so that you know, so you don't start to feel overwhelmed. You've got templates for most of these, right? All of these types of documents we're talking about. Yeah. 
actually, when I first started out a couple of years ago, I was only doing one-on-one work. And in the past six months or so, I've now created do-it-yourself templates where you can get the legal template that we're talking about here and listen to my voice in a one-hour audio guide, explain the document to you and where to fill it out so that you can put it in place super quick within just one hour for the document and you have it ready to go personalized for your business with some guidance by me in the audio. So they're designed specifically for wellpreneurs and anyone holistically minded because standard agreements you get from traditional attorneys or the attorney down the street, they're fabulous but they don't get our online world yet. And so these are designed specifically for online, holistically minded wellpreneurs, and they have a template that you fill out and an audio guide that goes with it. Amazing. Awesome. Amazing. (laughs) Well, they've been very popular, let me tell you. Oh, no, I can imagine because I think it, it just feels... I definitely understand that that feeling that like at the beginning stages of your business, it's probably overkill to go out and get an attorney privately to do all these mm-hmm. documents for you, right? So you need something, but maybe you don't quite need all of the custom stuff yet. So I think this is just an amazing, amazing solution. That's right. Totally recommend it. Okay. So I had something else I wanted to talk about, which is a question that's come up a lot, which is recipes. Mm. And I've had a few, okay, so there's a few different elements to this. So the question that came up in the group was that as part of their opt-in freebie, like they wanted to put together an ebook and have some of their recipes, but also share some of their favorite recipes from other places around the web. And we had a right. big debate about like, could you do this? I mean, obviously right. you need to link back to that person's site, but it's kind of like publishing it. I don't know. It felt really it's weird. It's tricky. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little tricky. So Okay, so the easiest way to explain the general distinction, and again, this is just sort of general guidance. It can vary based on the situation. But in general, if you're doing something for free, you're not making any money from it, you definitely want to give credit to the author and link back to the author's website like you just suggested, Amanda. If you're not making money from it, it's more okay, I guess, to give credit to the author and link back to the person's site or the source that you got it from in the online space. The distinction is when you do something where you're making money from it. That's where it gets really tricky and sticky because you're actually making money from their product without their permission. And there are some general fair use doctrines out there around copyright law that allows you to use things for education But if you're selling an online paid course or paid program or paid ebook or paid something, it's not education anymore. It's a paid product. It's a commercial product. So that's where it gets a little sticky. Even with the free stuff, sometimes an author could actually get upset or angry that you're using their work without their permission, but you're not financially benefiting from it. So less, they can claim less damage. You're not like, pilfering all of their product. But it's a really fine line. It's really tricky. And I think it's a bit of a gut check area too. It is. I know for Vintage Amanda, I've got lots of natural beauty recipes online and I'm totally happy for people to link to those, like to maybe share one of my photos, plus a link back to my site. I love that because it gives me exposure. But if someone were to actually copy and then mm-hmm. paste my paste recipe. It. Right, and then exactly. Even if they put a link, like no one's going to go to the link because they already have the recipe. And I would kind of, it would kind of exactly. piss me off actually. Exactly. And I'm glad you're bringing this up because this is why everyone should have on their website what I call website terms and conditions. And this is usually if you notice on people's websites in the footer of the website, there's a link to the terms and conditions. 
And if your terms and conditions are well-written, they actually get really specific about what people can and can't do with the content on your website. So for example, to your point, your website terms and conditions might say, anyone, hi, website visitor, anyone viewing this site, you are welcome to link back to one of my original recipes or the content on my site, but you are not allowed to copy and paste it and put it into one of your own blog posts or sell it or put it in one of your programs. So you can get really clear about the rules of the game of how people can use the content on your site. And if they violate that, they are, they're violating your legal terms and conditions and you have recourse for that. But the gut check is right. I usually tell people that too. Like, how would you feel if someone used your content without your permission? Like you said, if they're just sharing, spreading the word and, and giving you free promotion, great. But if they're actually taking it and putting it into something and claiming it as theirs or even giving you credit, but in a way that's removing you from the process, it just doesn't feel good. Mm -mm. Totally. And also like Google penalizes duplicate content. So if it was on the web, you end up hurting them. So I think, and even if technically legally something's okay, I think you have to think, you know, are you in this business for the long term? And if so, you want to have good relationships with other people in your industry. So it's probably better just to reach out to that owner and say, Hey, I love this recipe. Could I put it in my ebook? (laughs) Exactly. That is exactly what you should do. And also I'm um, energetically, I really believe that, you know, if you know that it's wrong and it feels wrong to take someone's stuff, it will, I believe personally, it will come back around. I mean, it's a boundary thing and it's an integrity thing. So if you're in doubt, definitely ask permission. And if you're doing anything for money, you must ask permission. Mm -hmm. Okay. So another question that comes up quite a bit is about the difference between trademark and copyright. Mm-hmm. And like, can we just stick the words copyright on the bottom of any document? Are we supposed to do that? Like, kind how, of, does how does it does work? work? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So copyright and trademark, believe it or not, are two entirely separate areas of the law. Like two entirely separate government agencies are responsible for each one. So let's talk about them totally separately. So let's talk about copyright for a minute. So copyright is a legal protection that's granted by the federal government that actually allows you to gain ownership rights and claim intellectual property rights to an original work of create an original creative work, I guess is a good way to say it. So that could be things like an article, a book, um, a film, music, poems, artwork, like you kind of think of it as a little body of work, right? And When you see people put the C with the little circle, I call it the little C, the C with the little circle at the bottom of their website or PDF or whatever, that just means they're putting the world on notice that they're claiming it as an original work that they created. And you should do this, actually. You should do this on your work. It's good to do on your website. It's good to do on your PDF or program guides. It's good to do on anything, your blog posts. You definitely want people to know that you're trying, you're claiming it and putting them on notice that that's your original work. However, unless you have registered it with the U.S. Copyright Office, you don't have any legal recourse under U.S. copyright law if someone violates or takes something off of your site, which is exactly why, as we talked about a minute ago, you want to have your website terms and conditions in place because that's actually like contractual terms so that you do have some recourse. So you can't you couldn't go after them for copyright violation because you don't have a registered copyright, 
but you could go after them. And I mean, like ask them to take it down, to stop using it. You could actually um, go further legally if you wish, but you can go after them for violating your contract terms. So that's why you need those darn website terms and conditions in place. So you have some protection of your content if it's not copyrighted federally. Okay. Okay. So that's copyright. So trademark is actually, as I said, an entirely separate area. And trademarking is designed to protect branding and protect brand identity in the marketplace. So trademarking is used for things that I like to think of as smaller. So like I think of copyright is bigger. This is just generally speaking, Amanda, right? And trademark is for littler things like phrases and logos and program names or business names or website names, like tiny, small things <laughs> that you can trademark, little tiny phrases that represent your brand. So the idea with trademark is that you can use the little superscript TM after something that you want to claim as yours, a little phrase or a logo or a business name or your program name or whatever, that's putting the world on notice that you want to claim that as yours. But until you file for a registered trademark, that's the only time you can use the R with the circle around it. So R stands for registered trademark. And that's a little confusing for people. So go ahead now, I tell people to put the little TM after anything you want to claim as yours. But the R is you're only allowed to use if you get a registered trademark. Now, a registered trademark is issued by the government if you can show that there's no likelihood of confusion between your registered mark and one that someone else might have registered. So the whole idea is that you're trying to protect the uniqueness of your brand, the uniqueness of your phrase or logo or tagline, and making sure that no one else comes after you using it with a similar or exact same name. Okay. So in that case, like when you, if you were going to put the TM or the R, do you have to put it every time? Like, would you have to put it in your logo? Yeah. Good question. So if you get a registered trademark, for sure, you want to use it everywhere that you can. Yes. You don't have to use it in your logo, but you should use it as much as you can. And if you look at things like Nike and Starbucks and like brands, you see the little R with the circle. You'll start noticing it, that it's even on things just like the Nike swoosh has the R with the circle and the trademark logo has the R with the circle. Because you do have a responsibility to notify people that that is a registered trademark. But the TM, you don't have to because you're just doing it to tell people that you want to claim this as your own, but it's a good idea to do that. Got it. Okay, cool. This is so helpful. I hope everybody out there is finding this as illuminating <laughs> as I am. This is really good. It's confusing. And, and I just want to add, trademark and copyright are, like, I'm all for do-it-yourself legal documents, which is why I've created them for so many other legal documents that you need. But when it comes to trademark and copyright, these are areas where you really, I do really recommend having a lawyer help you because trademarking is so complex. It doesn't look complex at all on the surface, but the determining what's a confusing brand, getting your description right in your application, figuring out what evidence to provide, figuring out the class, it actually is very complex. And then if you get if you get feedback from the government and you have to respond to that, it's confusing. So I know a lot of people like to go do it on their own, but that's what makes every lawyer panic because the person is often leaving themselves open to risk and not knowing it. They don't know where they're leaving the risk. 
so that someone else could then come in and trademark the exact same thing because the person didn't describe it right to be comprehensive enough. So I just want to share that. Like I encourage people, you can work with any lawyer you want that does trademark or copyright law, but please, please, please make sure you consult with someone before you go, go ahead and file it for a trademark or copyright. Mm -hmm. And also like just the process to try to figure out how to fill out those forms. Like you Uh do not need to spend that much time trying to get yourself up to speed <laughs> on how to do all this stuff. Like just hire somebody. <laughs> yeah. And I've been, I've done now, I think 36 successful copyrights for wellpreneurs and other holistic entrepreneurs in the past couple of years. And there are times that even I, who am a lawyer and I've been doing this for four years, I still go to full-time trademark lawyers for consults and for help when there's something that's even confusing to me. And I know what I'm doing at this point, you know? So if it's confusing for me, please, please, please help yourself so that you don't go through the whole process of doing it and then find out that someone could sneak in the back door behind you. Cool. Awesome. Okay. I've got kind of a hairy one now to just, I like hairy ones (laughs) (laughs) that it just occurred to me as we were talking and, and I hadn't, I literally hadn't thought of it before, but sure. Do you have thoughts around like Facebook groups? Yes. Because like now they're included in so many programs, but so I'm just thinking from the like, yeah, Yeah. like we don't really own that, but also like liability and all sorts of stuff. So talk to us about that. So glad you asked. They are so popular and we all love them and they're fabulous. So here's a couple things about Facebook groups. Two things in particular. One is, you know, over on the right, the little sidebar where you put the description or welcome everyone, or you say the little rules of the Facebook group, you want to make sure you have what I call a mini disclaimer there. And I do have a DIY mini disclaimer for people to get if they want but it basically gives really brief but thorough disclaimer language to put in your Facebook group. Because when people are, are participating in your group, you really want to encourage that. But you as the Facebook group owner, I guess, or organizer, you really don't want to be liable for what people are saying. You're, you And you can't honestly be held responsible in that regard because you are not doing the post. But you don't want anyone to get confused and hold you responsible. So you want to have a mini disclaimer in your sidebar. And then the second thing is, Amanda, a lot of people use Facebook groups as a way to like share files or uploads or program materials, and they put it under that little files tab. But I really, 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 really do not recommend doing that at all because like you just alluded to, Facebook actually owns the content in the Facebook group. So anything that you post there is could easily be shared or used and is not secure and safe. And you're kind of giving away some of your rights to that content to Facebook. So it's just scary. I just, it makes me nervous when people put so much work into their programs and then they share the file on Facebook. And I'm like, oh my God, someone could let people in if the administrator changes or it just, it's just not ideal. And it's much better to do it on a password protected website page or through a platform like Entreport or Simplero or whatever. You definitely try not to put the files on the Facebook group because then they're much more, it's much easier for someone to share that or to let someone into a group who doesn't belong. Right. Okay. Good point. So like if somebody is just starting out and like doesn't have a whole membership site yet or something like that, yeah, then, then, I mean, they could just create like a password protected page basically on their website. Yeah. Yeah. I far more recommend that even though it's a group password that everyone in the program would have that group password. See, here's the thing. When people sign up, remember how we talked a couple minutes ago, when people sign up for your group program or online course and they're using your terms, you're having them agree to your terms of use, 
for online programs and products and they check the box when they sign up, it says, you cannot share my program content with other people without my permission. So they're agreeing when they sign up for your program that they can't share it. And it also says, by the way, your password has to be kept confidential and you can't share that with anyone. So when you have a group password for your password protected page, hopefully they follow those terms. They are complying with the terms and only people in the group use that group password. But it's way better to have it on your website than it is to have it in Facebook. Oh, amazing. Okay. And when you said something like, when we talked about that before, but for the evergreen programs, like to have them as part of the purchase process to accept those program terms. Totally. We need to have that. Totally. I mean, that needs to be built into the purchase process somehow. Yes. Yes. And I I always recommend whether it's evergreen or whether it's a launch that you're doing with a specific timeframe, you want to have people checking the box for those terms of use before they enter their credit card information. And so for in some cases, the shopping cart will have a place that actually allows you to upload terms and conditions that the person has to check when they're purchased going through that credit card process. In other cases, it may be that you have to add that to your sales page. If like a lot of people, for example, at the beginning have a sales page on their website, but then it links to a PayPal payment invoice. And the problem is PayPal does not let you put terms and conditions on their invoices, except a teeny little box and you need way more room than that. So you can do it on your sales page on your website and just have people agree to the terms before they click buy now that takes them to that PayPal invoice. Right. Makes sense? Yeah, totally. But yeah, you really, really, that's so important for those online and group programs. I can't, I can't stress enough the client agreement for one-on-one programs and the terms of use for group programs and online courses. Amazing. Cool. And for everybody out there listening who wants to get a hold of some of these templates um, to get started, they're at wellpreneuronline.com slash legal love. Because you're all about the legal love, Lisa. <laughs> I am all about the legal love. And we, I do want to share and thank you, Amanda, for being an affiliate. We do have to disclose that. So everyone listening, when you guys are promoting programs for your affiliates or your affiliates are promoting for you, they do need to tell people um, legally, actually, under the Federal Trade Commission that you're an affiliate. So thank you so much for being an affiliate. And I love, Amanda, that you're making these available for people so that it's super easy for them to go online and get them at wellpreneuronline.com slash legal love and get what they need and get those documents in place. So fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. And thank you for doing that, for sharing that. Cool. Is there any, can you leave us with a, a thought, like a, a, thought. <laughs> a parting thought from, a our, thought. from our legal yes. diva? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think the parting thought, and hopefully people have got a sense of that through this podcast, is that the law does not have to be scary. It really doesn't have to be overwhelming or confusing or it, it, it should just be part of what you do to protect this beautiful business that you're working so hard to build. And you really, just like you built your business one step at a time, one thing at a time, you just do the same thing with your legal documents. One step at a time as you go, as you grow. So it's easy to figure out what you need now, get it in place, and then you just go and put the right steps in place as you go forward. So I think if I could leave everyone with that and just feeling good about the law and feeling excited, it's such an empowering way to feel more confident because you know you have written policies to fall back on. You know you have clear boundaries and you've gotten super clear in advance about what your policies are. So you don't have confusion and headaches and frustration later. It just saves you so much time and energy and trouble. Amazing. Thank you so much, Lisa, for taking your time to talk with us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Lots of legal love. 
Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Wellpreneur Podcast. Don't forget, if you want to check out some of Lisa Fraley's amazing legal templates for Wellpreneurs, you can go to wellpreneuronline.com slash legal love. I'll also put that link directly in the show notes and you can get to it through my website at wellpreneuronline.com. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you back here next week with the next episode. Thank you.